Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's Cole Cruz, and you're listening to the KSC at the Movies Podcast, a, a fresh, freshly baked episode. Um, I've returned uh, from <laughs> anxiety, really. Uh, yeah, had a rough go of it, and um, that's why you haven't really seen any content from me in probably a very long time. The last video I posted was on YouTube in April, and I did actually record a podcast last month. Uh, but again, just, yep, hit by that shit, that was, that was fun, so now that I'm getting back in the swing of things, I will edit that and release that kind of like a, as like an archive episode, um, but, um, I just had a lot of work, uh, to do in terms of, um, uh, videos on YouTube in, in terms of like the everything I watch stuff and uh, all the things I've seen recently and I was going to do a everything I watched in May for the YouTube channel and then I ended up not doing anything for that and then um, May passed and then June came along and I watched uh, a few I, I think June was a pretty packed month I think ended up being a packed month um, and then June passed and then I was like, well, I'd, I I was kind of in a spot where I was just thinking, I, I don't really know how I'm going to do all this. And there is so much stuff to do here. And there was just a lot on my plate, I think, in terms of uh, what, what to, uh, you know, to, to record and to talk about. Um, and now I know that's mainly my fault um, for all of that. And, but I just, uh, to be transparent, I just wasn't in the right, right headspace and uh, I wasn't feeling any motivation or inspiration around that. I've, I've done anything creatively in the last two months. It's been it's been a rough uh, been a rough time. But um, we're trying to get back in the swing of things. So what I thought I'd do is to combat, I guess, the whole heaping workload <laughs> of doing all of those lists and those videos. I thought I would do what I'd do is not only condense all of the films that I've watched, uh, well, most of the films that I've watched, and all the things I've done during this whole crazy time, because as we know, Australia looks like, I mean, New South Wales specifically looks like it's looking at a second wave um, in terms of lockdown. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but we've got some crazy shit happening down in Melbourne and Sydney as well. So we've actually had a few cases around in my local area as well. So I don't know. It's looking grim again, to be honest. To escape that, though, I've been watching films, um, reading books, listening to albums, mainly having a lot of music on repeat, really, that I've had over the last few months. And, yeah, there was also another problem that came up that I, um, my right ear, it uh, started playing up, and I couldn't really hear anything out of it, and um, I couldn't really watch movies normally, so I'd still watch them, but I couldn't really pay attention to them too much so it kind of felt uh wrong watching them so july when i eventually make the everything i watched in july video it's going to be very i mean there's not been much there to be honest because i didn't really watch much but towards the end i ended up actually watching <laughs> quite a bit but in terms of like the uh the beginning not much there so just to cut through the shit i thought i'd put everything i watched and did during this whole time into a two-part podcast so this first part is going to be all the films that i've watched it's not going to be every single film sorry that i just want to reiterate 
It's not going to be every single film. I've selected 15, that's 14, sorry, 14 films here that I want to talk about. There is four comedy specials. If I can just get that going. Four comedy specials, four franchises, nine books, and five albums that I'm going to be talking about. So in the first part, I'm going to be doing all of the films and the two television shows that I watched as well. Did I mention television shows? Um, I watched two television shows as well, uh, so I'll be talking about those as well. So I'll talk about the, f- the, f- the uh, films that I've seen and the television shows in the first part. In the second part will be the comedy special. Oh, sorry. No, I put the comedy specials as well with the films as well. I, I keep getting mixed up. I'm looking at the wrong thing here. This document's been getting me. <laughs> it's getting me mixed. Sorry. The films, the TV shows, and the comedy specials will be in part one of this podcast. And the franchises, which there was four of, Harry Potter... The Oceans movies, the Lord of the Rings movies, extended editions, and the four Indiana Jones movies. Yes, four Indiana Jones movies. I watched the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as well, and uh, highly regretted that. So, um, and uh, yeah, the uh, the books as well, and the music will be in part two as well. I also put out a questionnaire on Instagrams and. Um, I'll be answering those questions on in part two as well because there was some really good questions sent in. There wasn't much, but some really good ones to think about and uh, talk about. So, without further ado, let's 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 get on with the show, part one of the uh, the quarantine podcast. Now, the first film I checked out was Chinatown. It is a Robert Polanski film. It's written by Robert Town, starring Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway. And you might have heard about this one. It's a very, it's lauded for its screenplay. It's lauded for its screenplay. Apparently, it's one of the best screenplays ever written. And I'm here to uh, stand by that. Uh, this film was excellent. Jack Nicholson gives one of my favorite performances from him. He does hold my performance, like, first best male performance of all time. Like, my favorite male performance of all time. He, um, him as uh, Jack Torrance in The Shining. But this one here is Jake Giddies. Uh, Jake Giddies. Wow. Wow. Really, really, really good stuff here. And Faye Dunaway as well as um, as Evelyn. I believe her name is Evelyn. It's a, yeah, really, really good film. Now, it's about Jake Giddies, who's again played by Jake Nicholson. He um, is a private detective in uh, California, and he's hired by Faye Dunaway to investigate her husband's affair so she believes her husband's having an affair and then there's i mean it's a mystery it's a noir things are going to happen think there's going to be twists here and there so it's a noir it's a great mystery noir film and it's this it's just it's just an excellent film it has really great dialogue great quotes i love jack uh jake giddies as a character i love his way of getting around things because you're a private detective it's he can, I'm not saying like they can get away with everything, but like the way he acquires information is some of my favorite bits in the film. It's, it's yeah, it's really good stuff. Um, the iconic nose bandage, the way he gets that, more brutal than I expected. More brutal than I expected. Because I thought he just got like a punch in the nose before watching this, but how he actually gets that, I was like, oh shit, all right. <laughs> well... <laughs> Um, yeah, I just think it's a really, really well put together film, especially for a film of that time. I don't know how it's taken me so long to watch it, really, but yeah, it's excellent, I have to say. Once again, 
this is a very, very solid film. And um, if you're thinking about checking it out, I, I highly recommend it. It's, it's just incredible. Absolutely incredible. But I want to say, this is the power of it too. I was, I wanted to chuck it on and I had some notes to do and I just put it on the background. And by the, about the 40 minute, no, not even the 40 minute, the 25 minute mark, I was just completely engrossed in this movie and chucked away the notes and then just watched this film. And it, I was just, it was just in, it's just wrapped up in everything about it. Exceptional, exceptional, great stuff. So uh, yeah, check that out. Good shit. All right, the next film I watched is The Lodge, uh, written and directed by Veronica Franz, uh, Severin Fiala, and also uh, co-written with them too, with Sergio Karski as well. Um, I believe they made Goodnight Mommy. Yeah, Goodnight Mommy, which I have not seen. I've been told to check it out. I've also been told not to check it out <laughs> because <laughs> some people don't like that one. But um, I'm here to say that The Lodge is a... Most of the time, pretty good movie. Um, it stars Riley Keough, Jade Martell, and uh, Riley Keough is a stepmother who is brought along on this family vacation or trip, I don't know what to call it really, with the father and the kids, and they go to this secluded cabin in the snow, and uh, you can probably see where this is going, secluded cabin in the snow, middle of nowhere, <laughs> horror film. <laughs> But I'm, I'm going to say that it does subvert some of those expectations of what you were going to um, see in this movie. I think not only does it deliver on oh, just being a very dreadful movie in terms of just not like terrible, like a terrible film, but just it's just filled with dread and with a character who is completely traumatized by her, like her upbringing and what she's been through. And uh, what the, 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 the triggers that would bring her back to that. Because most of the film takes place in the cabin with her and the two kids. And some things, I mean, I don't, it's, it's really hard to jump around this and not spoiling it. Some of the things that these kids do because they don't like her, because she's like the new stepmom, are just like, oh my god, like you fucking dicks. But there's some of the shit that they do, man. Like kids can be like real assholes. And uh, this this movie has it. This movie has these kids just being like, wow. This movie will make will make not make you want to have kids. I'll say that it'll not it will not make you want to have children. But I'm, I'm here to say that Riley Keough is someone I've seen in the background a few times. She's been in she's been in a few things. Um, I think the last thing I saw her in was Logan Lucky with uh, Daniel Craig and uh, Adam Driver. Steven Soderbergh's, uh, not his latest one, because that movie, that man is a busy boy. He's um, doing a lot of stuff, but uh, one of his one of his most recent ones. And uh, she delivers easily her best performance. She is probably one of the best female performances I've seen all year. And um, a lot of people are comparing this to Hereditary. Um, look, it has the Hereditary vibes, but I think they're comparing it in the sense of it just being such a... Uh, just such a heavy film that just makes you feel so fucking empty after it because you're just like, I don't know, like, what what else there is to do today or what else there is to do tonight because, wow, I've just been completely absorbed of or, uh, I don't know, hopefulness <laughs> because one's looking at me, it's not going to make you have kids 
And then two, on top of that, dealing with very, very serious subject of mental health and trauma, uh, mental illness, sorry, and trauma, and just, uh, I guess, exploiting that. And um, it's, oh man, it's a heavy watch. It's a really well, well put together film. It's got some great, uh, it's got some great transitions between each scene. They, they're used miniatures with, um, I don't know if they're, I'm trying to remember if they're actually in the film or they're just used as transitions, but the sets are redone in miniatures and it looks really, really good. And on top of that, the cinematography is great as well by uh, Thimios, I'm going to butcher the fuck out of this name, Thimios Bakatakas, Thimios Bakatakas. Oh my god, I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, well done, well done. Beautiful, beautiful looking film. And it's got a creepy score as well. But I think the standout is Riley Keough as the, uh, I think her name's Grace? Yeah, Grace. As Grace. Great performance and her character backstory and, and everything that's revealed throughout the movie is just, oh, it's just, it's just, it's haunting. And I want to just shout out Jaden Martell for having one of the most punchable faces of a kid I've ever seen in recent years. God damn. This kid is a good actor, but God damn do I want to punch him in the head. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jaden. But, uh, wow. I'm not surprised if I see, if if, there's, if he's going to be on the uh, the punchable faces subreddit. I don't know if it'd be people have been on it, but uh, he's probably on there. I'm gonna, I might check him up after that, but yeah. Look, if you like Hereditary, I think you're going to find something good in The Lodge. If you just want a very... It's a very slow movie as well, I'll say that. Even I noticed the pace of it and kind of thought, thought the pace detracted um, from the film's final um, uh, effect, um, for a lack of a better word, I guess. Yeah, there it does kind of slow down the second act, but then the third act picks up and shit goes bananas from there, so... Check out The Lodge. Uh, it's one of the best horror films of the year, uh, along with Invisible Man. And but there's oh, have I have I watched much horror this year? I watched old horror. I haven't watched much new horror. But yeah, check it out. I think it's a really good film. I think it's a really good film. Okay. Um. Next up, I watched Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Uh, this is written and directed by Eliza Kipman, and stars Sydney Flanagan as Autumn, as a girl named Autumn. And she plays a, uh, a teenager who is suddenly struck with an unwanted pregnancy. And she is she goes around her Pennsylvania area, her rural Pennsylvania area, to try and seek out an abortion. But they're very anti-abortion, so she can't really... She feels like there's no help there. So she goes with her best friend, played by Tyler Ryder, to New York City to seek out better medical help. And um, it all takes place over one night. And this film is fucking incredible. In a sense of like, it's it's weird. I, I don't think I'm going to watch it again, but I goddamn did I appreciate it. I think it's one of the best films of the year um, so far. It's just so, I love films that take place over one evening or one just, I love films that take place over a, just a one big moment of time instead of taking place over days and weeks and things like that. Um, one night, I don't know, inverted commas, one night movies. I really enjoy those. And this is a very interesting subject to 
try out in a genre, um, a subgenre like this, uh, the subject of abortion, and trying to find the means of, uh, you know, seeking it out and um, getting people that actually want to help you, because they're going to a foreign city which they've never been to before. They're very poor girls. I wouldn't say they're super poor, but they can hardly afford the bus or the train there. Also, her parents don't know she's going to get an abortion, nor do they know she's pregnant. So there's also that angle as well. The mother keeps ringing up and asking where she is and everything. They have to keep lying and saying that she's at a friend's house. And it's all that. And on top of all that, they're getting told to wait for longer because she has to get an appointment at this certain time. Then she has to wait to this time to go. And they, but they've got to get back to... Uh, it's uh, it's it's a it's a brilliant film. It's wow. Sydney Flanagan, man, first time performance, fucking incredible. Wow, she kind of looks like Caitlin Diva. I'll say that. Um, if you guys know from um, Booksmart last year, um, from many other films as well, I'm a massive fan of Caitlin. Um, but she kind of looks like Caitlin Diva, but she is really really good. And for a yeah, what I just looked up, first time performance has to be credited. Um, enormously to Eliza Hitman. There's a really iconic scene in this movie that people you might have seen people talk about on like Twitter or uh, you know just around on social media or just word of mouth. It's the title scene. Um, this movie has a great use of its title. There is a really really powerful scene at the same time showcasing Eliza Hitman's screenplay and uh, in tandem with. Sydney Flanagan's really subtle emotional performance, and uh, it's just brilliant. It's 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 uh, oh, Chef's Kiss, beautiful stuff, but this, but very sad, very sad. But uh, it's a fucking powerful, powerful scene, and it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be when people actually do seek this out because I haven't really seen this talked about much. It did play at Sundance, but ever since then and around around here, uh, like recently. It hasn't really been talked about that much, and uh, I think I think when people finally watch this movie, they're going to be talking about that particular scene, and um, it'll be talked about I think for a while because it is a very very iconic scene. But at the same time, it's not just iconic for the sake of being so, uh, just like one memorable scene. The whole movie is great. Oh, by, by the way, holy shit! The ending, the ending is just perfect. It ends so perfectly as well. Wraps it up. Wow, man. Eliza Hitman. I'm going to be looking out for more of her stuff. I, I don't know what, what Eliza's done before. I think there was one which had Lucas Hedges in it. And, um... Was it Lucas Hedges? Or was it someone else? No, I'm thinking of something else. I don't know what what else she's done, but I'm going to be checking out her work previously because she... Yeah, she's a, she's a shining star. And I'm um, Cindy flying in. I can't wait to see what she does next. Uh, what she... Yeah, what projects he does choose next because she's she's something special as well. What I will say also about Eliza uh, Screen, I know I'm jumping all over the place with this one, but it's just a lot. <laughs> I think this is a very subtle, gentle, careful examination of abortion and the choices that you have to make. What, like, what to do. It also respects different perspectives and standpoints. It doesn't just stay with one constant and just like yell at you like that's the right thing or this is the right thing. It takes a look from all perspectives and not only and doesn't just say, well, this is that one, this is that one. It just kind of layers them out and then it leaves you to think about it and then talk about it with other people after the film. And isn't that what good films 
get us to do, discuss the subject or what it is trying to say after it and offer our opinions and perspectives. And that is why I think this is one of the best films of the year. It's solid as fuck. It's got great performances, great screenplay, beautifully directed. And um, you haven't checked it out. What are you doing? Check it out. Never really, sometimes always. Um, weird how I haven't seen that in ages, but yet I have just suddenly remembered everything about it. Anyway, moving on. Uh, the fourth film I watched was a bit of a classic, bit of a bit of an old one. Um, if you call nineteen sixty nine old, but um, yeah, I've never seen this one. It's considered a classic. It's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It's the uh, it's written by George Roy Hill and. Uh, sorry, it's it's written by William Goldman and directed by George Roy Hill, who also collaborated on The Sting, which also starred Paul Newman and Robert Redford. It is about Butch, who's played by Paul Newman. He's the this leader of this gang called the Hole in the Wall Gang, and he has a he's good his partner, who's a Sundance kid, played mm, beautifully, brilliantly by Robert Redford, who might I just add, looking immaculate. Looking beautiful, like young Robert Redford. Mm, he hot as fuck. <laughs> he is looking good. I'm just gonna say it. He's looking good. Um, all right. <laughs> weird, <laughs> weird tension. <laughs> um. <laughs> So they play two partners, and um, they uh, they're like bank robbers, they're outlaws, and then what happens is the uh, the law finally uh, gets on their tail, and they're chased by this posse, who is just so, I guess like impossibly, almost supernatural because they just can't be. They're always on the tail. And there's something I love about this film, which I'll get into in a minute. But they're just being chased throughout this whole movie, and they go from location to location, and it's just a whole big adventure. This is an adventure movie. Wow, I fucking love this movie. Holy shit. I don't know why I waited this long to see it, but I'm so glad I've seen it now, um, especially at this day and age, because I don't think if I watched it before, I don't think I would have appreciated it as much as I do now. But holy shit. Robert Redford and Paul Newman have magical chemistry and i also want to just mention uh catherine ross who plays edda who is kind of the shared love interest i don't know what's going on there but shared love interest between uh butch and sundance she's really good too catherine ross um she's really good um we've got a great screenplay some great quotes william goldman man he's a legendary screenwriter and what i love about this film is it parodies westerns and uh, brings forward like most of the cliches and um, all the things you're going to see in a western, and kind of poke, kind of pokes fun um, pokes fun at them and uh, uh, ridicules them, but at the same time is on its own a really fucking good western. And isn't that such a great combination to have? Because you're entertained throughout the whole film, you're laughing, you're you're just loving it. And you're also taking the characters seriously as well. It's not a joke, and you never really feel like these are just caricatures. These are these are characters, and you really start caring about these two men and the journey that they go on throughout the whole film. 
Let's bring him in. Uh, Conrad Hall. My God, the cinematography in this movie. Some of the shots I out loud was like, oh, wow, that is so good. Uh, Conrad Hall, who is um, also shot, um, I'll just mention one film that most of everyone will know is American Beauty. Uh, but he's done he's done a lot of films. Comrade Hall's let's just let's just talk about the opening sequence, which is down in this really odd seat, like red, almost maroon sepia, and it's it's such a beautiful sequence that introduces uh, Butch. No, well, not, well, no, uh, Sundance. Sorry, Sundance, and then you get the great introduction scene of uh, Butch. Yeah, I don't want to be going too much into depth of it, but. I think I might do a separate podcast and actually just talk about this movie in length because I just, it, it was so fucking good. Back to Conrad Hall's cinematography, please. Um, opening sequence is really good. So fucking memorable. Such a great way to start the movie as well. And I almost thought that the movie was going to be in like this sepia tone. And I was like, all right, all right, I'm on board. I'm on board. I like this. All right. Okay. And then you, you know, kind of get to the granary, uh, granary, the grainy 19, late 60s look. And you know, which is which is good too. Um, but I was really digging that sepia look. But then you get into like the film, and there's I want there's one shot that I will never forget. That I'll probably it's my favorite shot of the movie. Is uh, Butch and Sundance are at this um, bar and they're celebrating. They're drinking. Um, they've got women with them. Uh, and in the background, which it's almost like a, I mean, I'm not. It's not completely like a split diopter shot, but. It's, you have Butch and Sundance, like, drinking and celebrating in, like, the foreground and in the background, which I love that Conrad, uh, either Conrad or George kept going in the background. Like, this dude is, like, selling bikes on the street to, I think it's bikes, um, again, this is a long, I watched this, like, a few months ago, but he's selling, like, bikes to these people, and this is happening all at the same time while they're just watching all this happen. And they're and like it's both things are in um, both scenes of action are in focus and uh, I don't know it's, it was just such a beautiful beautiful shot the blocking in this movie I think like with uh, there's a second shot with that sorry um, there's a second shot with that they are also love which um, starts off with Butch at the front um, on the uh, out on the uh, out on the patio uh, sorry I couldn't help myself out on the balcony of this uh, Sloan bar thing and he's drinking and then it's just like on a still and then you have uh, Sundance come in from the, um, the bedroom and then kind of join him in there and then it's like when they go to uh, sit down at the table and drink and it's like three separate shots in one tracking shot and it's just, it's so good. It's so fucking good. Comrade Hall, my God. How? <laughs> it's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And the um, George uh, George Lee Hill's blocking man, like of these two actors. Um, oh fuck! I'm, just, I'm, I'm lost for words because I just I'm just remembering the scene now. I'm just saying, oh, fuck, that was such a good scene. Um, but I'll get to. No, I gave it. See, I brought up. Um, I brought up the rating system. Like this film, kind of makes me feel like I shouldn't be even doing the rating system on Letterbox because I just I loved it. But 
there is a sequence, and (laughs) this is where the it's like because it's like you're parrying a western, but you're also being your own thing at the same time, which is great. But there's a scene, nay, a montage with uh, Paul Newman and uh, Catherine Ross on a bike, (laughs) and it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, but it's so good. It's like, like I'm not even kidding. Like, really wacky music while they're just riding around, and they're like crashing as well. And it's, they just look so goofy, but like it's so fun. That's what I mean. Like you're so entertained by this movie, but at the same time you're taking it seriously and you're really caring for these characters. Um, so that scene is kind of confusing to me because I'm like, this is the length. I think this is the line. That is where the line is of parody, where it just, like, you have to think, like, why is that there? But at the same time, it's fucking great. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know. So that's why I was hesitant to give it five, but I just I loved it. And I think with more watches, it's going to reach a five anyway. Um, but it's about four and a half at the moment. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a reason that people talk about this movie. But I was not ready for just how much fun I had with this. And the way it subverted all my expectations about westerns. And just what to expect from this film. And I had such a fucking great time. Um, this is probably one of the best recommendations on the list. If you have not checked out Butch Cassidy the Sundance Kid... Boy, you, you get on that, right? You, you get on that. Um, yeah. All right. Shifting from the world of Westerns to anime. More specifically, Makoto Shinkai. I finally checked out Your Name, which is the... AKA the anime movie that everyone talked about in 2018. 2016, sorry. Not 2018. 2016. I finally checked it out. Anime Lab at the moment is doing a little promotion where they're putting a lot of... I don't know if it's a promotion or just a thing that they're going to keep permanent, but they're putting all these anime films on Anime Lab. And one of the directors that they're supporting and putting on there is Makoto Shinkai, who is the creator of Your Name. And the next one we'll be talking about, which is his follow-up to Your Name, Wherever in Review, I checked out his... The big one everyone talks about, Your Name. And uh, yeah, this was this is this was fucking amazing. I love this. Um, I really care for these characters, Mitsuha and Taki. Uh, Taki's this. Well, they're both high schoolers, and uh, what happens is they switch places, and Taki becomes Mitsuha, and Mitsuha becomes Taki. And oh man, it's just like a, a something happens that allows it to. Like, there's an occurrence that makes them do that, so they switch bodies. It's a body switch movie, but there's, it's it's more than that, you know? It's it's more than that. I'm about to cry. <laughs> um, this was just a beautiful, it's a beautiful film. It was just a beautiful, beautiful movie. And I was... I had tears streaming down my face by the uh, the time the credits rolled. And it was just such a beautiful story. I cared so much about these characters by the end. I was like, if not, if this better happen, this better happen. 
this thing that I wanted to happen, it, it did it happen? Not going to tell you. Not going to tell you. But I was so fucking emotional and caught up. I was just like, oh my God, I'm going I'm to lose my shit if <laughs> it doesn't happen. <laughs> and then the film ends and then you're like, oh my God. Oh my god, I can't even, this is, I can't even use this, I can't even use this for the fucking podcast, because I can't, it's just, it's just, it's indescribable, oh man, it's just, it's such a, it's, at the same time, it's a play on the body switch genre, but it just goes so much deeper than that, and it just brings so much more meaning to what that all means, I sound like a fucking psycho dude, I can't even... I can't even explain this. <laughs> what does... I don't want to be like asked in an essay, what does this film mean to you? Because I'm just going to write um, what Jack Torrance writes and his, uh, uh, his typewriter in The Shining. And it's just going to be that. And they're going to be like, well, what the? What does that mean? And then you, I'm going to be like, well, I, I don't know. You, you tell me, sir. You tell me. Oh, man. I love this movie. I just loved it. I fucking love this movie. Um, I just, it's just, it's the characters, it's the way it's written, it's the way things happen, it's the emotion, it's the fucking beautiful animation. Oh my god, it's gorgeous. Oh, I'm so fucking mad at myself for sleeping on anime for this long. Holy shit. Especially Makoto Shinkai's films. Um, but at the same time, again, the argument I have with myself is like, will I, would have I appreciated this movies this much when I, when people were watching these movies or when people were watching anime and especially anime for one, because I always regretfully push that aside. But now that I'm discovering all these shows and movies um, within this culture, within this genre, um, it's opening my mind to a lot more possibilities and so much more inspiration and imagination. And this one just, did it. This one just was just like, oh, do you want to get kicked in the dick? But at the same time, appreciate everything in the universe. Here's this movie. And then this happened. And holy crap. Oh boy. Alright, moving on. <laughs> I it's like if, it, if you didn't get a recommendation from that, I'm sorry. But that is... I recommend this movie, of course. Oh my God, I recommend this movie. Fuck, watch it. All right. The next one I watched was uh, another Makoto Shinkai film, which is the follow-up to Your Name, Where From With You. Um, and look, this wasn't as good as Your Name. Um, I'll say that. But holy shit, is it beautiful. Again, Makoto. Holy shit. Sir. Sir. Oh, my God. I've never seen rain. This looks so Mm, delicious in this oh my it's just it's just beautiful it like rivals Toy Story 4's reign but like Toy Story 4 is like in another I know they're like different we're looking at different animation categories here but if Toy Story 4 has it kind of in like the I don't know your Disney Pixar real animation uh, Wherever With You has anime reign locked down to the fucking T and just so much, there's so much beautiful detail in these sequences. Like, there's a great use, um, I think he, he makes great use of light 
whether it's you're inside the um, the apartment with uh, Hakoda, that's right, and uh, Hina, yeah. Um, Hakoda, when he wears the agency and uh, like the artificial light, the light bulbs in there, and uh, you've got the sunlight because this film is about a uh, high school student named Hadoka who um, he leaves Tokyo to go, uh, sorry, he leaves his island to go to Tokyo and because I think he's just sick of his hometown. Again, I watched this a while ago. So he was sick of his hometown. He wants to go to Tokyo because it's a big city and he finds a job as a kind of like a news writer for this um, agency and then he notices that the weather's been raining and then he meets a girl named Hina who can bring sunshine to the uh, to the city and get rid of the uh, rain. And um, what the whole thing is, when she brings sunshine to the rain, part of her, she loses, I'll just say she loses part of herself. I'll say that. When she brings uh, the sunshine, she becomes the sunshine girl. And she, when she does that, she loses part of herself. I'm not going to say... Uh, spoil anything about that, but she loses part of herself. So, back to what I thought of it, because um, I realised I forgot the plot of that one too. And I, well, I, I think I, I explained the plot of Your Name, all right, like the best as I could. But uh, there's the plot of Whatever Review. I, I realised I forgot a lot of that about that then. Um, so I really did root for and was sympathetic towards Dakota and Hina. I also really love Natsumi, um, the uh, the um, the niece of the boss at the agency. I thought she was a great side character. Um, you always want those iconic side characters, those really cool side characters that you just you just love. And Natsumi stole a show here for me. She's fucking great. Loved her. But the problem I had with Wearing a View was. It kind of had the same story structure as Your Name, even down to very particular story beats that occur throughout the film. And I just felt like it was derivative of the film that came before it. So it feels unfair to compare them, but when Weathering the View, your follow-up to Your Name, which is a huge smash hit, is so like the film that came before it, it has to be brought out into the open because it's quite noticeable when you, especially when I watch them back to back. I watched, well, I watched Your Name. I know I did watch them back to back. Oh, God. (laughs) I was a bit emotional night, that one. Especially when you watch them back to back, you do notice that they share the same story structure and the, the same, the very same beats as well. So it was hard not to notice that, but I still have to say, this is another great film from Shinkai. I'm going to check out more of his films on Anime Lab. Particularly, I've been told to watch Five Centimeters Apart. So, I'll be watching that. Um, oh, what's that? There's a garden one, I think, as well. I'll have to check out on Anime Lab, but um, I'll be checking it out. If you haven't seen any of Makoto Shinkai's films and you're a fan of anime, I really recommend um, checking out his work. Especially if you want to cry. Because, oh boy, you're going to be... You're going to need some fucking tissues. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Moving on to much more. Oh, my God. I can't. Okay. <clears throat> Straighten myself up for this one. So the next one I watched was a film called Monsters and Men. Uh, it was directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green, written also by Ronaldo Marcus Green. 
Now, Neon made this available for to everyone for free on YouTube during the um, whole um, Black Lives Matter uh, rallies and um, all of the turmoil that came from the very, very horrible actions done by police officers in Northern America and um, just the absolute horrific situations that um, sprung from that. Um, especially the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. And um, Neon made this film available on YouTube for everyone to watch. I wanted to watch this one back when it came out, when at Sundance at 2018, in 2018, and I never got to check it out because it wasn't really available anywhere, and Neon finally made it available on YouTube for free. So I checked it out, and especially because I wanted to just learn more about the situation that's going on since being in Australia I don't feel like I don't um, I felt like I wasn't um, I don't know not like an outsider but like I just wanted to learn more about that stuff and understand fully what's um, what what we're dealing with here because um, it's just it's just it was just fucking shit it was just it was horrible and um this film is very relevant, I think, to the... Um, while there are some great movies to check out um, with people of color, or cast of people of color, or directed by people of color, this film is very relevant to today's... to what goes on today, especially with police brutality. And uh, the... Uh, I guess the... Um, the rebellion from young people... Um, especially when you're living in days of YouTube and social media, I don't. I'm not putting. I'm not putting in the best words. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm not putting in the best words, but it is about a um, high schooler who um, captures a police officer, kill a black man just on the street because he the guy believes he's um, done a crime. But as we know, the police officers are just very ex- extremely racist and they definitely did that they had intent to kill that man and um we we do find that throughout the movie but you know from the get-go that like no like they were definitely going to do that they were not going to just like they abuse their power we'll say that they definitely abuse their power they have a lot of power now he captures the act on film he puts it on youtube and he deals with the aftermath of that but we're looking at three different stories here um, we have the his life, the because um, he knows a lot of people in the neighborhood. You have the aftermath. That's the word I'm looking for. Aftermath of what he does there and what comes of that, especially with his family, police officers harassing him. Then you've got the John David Washington, who is also a police officer, who knows about all this stuff. Knows he can't do much about it because he feels like he's friends of these guys and he can't do. He doesn't want to risk his job because it's a job that he likes doing as well. As, you know, much as he loves his job, he um, he knows it's wrong, but it's a very complicated. He knows it's a very complicated situation, and you do empathize with his character. Um, there's also another sequence with Kelvin Harrison Jr., who's a baseballer, uh, kind of like a baseball prodigy, and there's some rallies going on, and at the same time, there is a baseball game happening, and. He decides to go to the rally, and you kind of see like um, <clears throat> what comes from that. 
Now, I gave this one three and a half because while it is a very important film, I think, and a very relevant film, especially today's times, I think the storytelling is just a little disjointed. You have three different stories we're focusing on, but I find myself more connected to the stories of um, John David Washington, who um, played Dennis, and Anthony Ramos, more than Kelvin Harrison's story, which is the final act of the film. So I just don't think... I think that if there might have been more development, especially on... Um, who's his character? Z- uh, Zirik. Zirik's character. Um, and, and more of his story was a bit more fleshed out. I think I would have liked it a bit more. But I think when you're playing, you're always going to be careful when you're playing with three different perspectives, three different stories, because you're not... It doesn't leave you enough room to flesh out your characters. And um, while I think it's a very important message and a great message, when you're looking at it from a film perspective, I just think that's where it falls short in terms of its structure and its its storytelling because you're not leaving enough room to flesh out your characters. But I enjoyed it. I think it has a really good opening sequence as well. It has a really, really good opening scene that's also quietly powerful at the same time. And if you just check it on YouTube, you can just you can watch it. I don't know if Neon has this still available for free on YouTube, but give it a go. I think they might, but um, do check it out. But you can probably see that scene on YouTube as well. But if you just want to see the opening scene, I think that opening scene tells you a lot about um, racism and uh, the systemic racism that runs through, especially in Northern America and even in Australia here as well. So check out Monsters and Men. It's um, a, a solid film. Solid f- is it a first feature from Ronaldo? I don't know if what else he's done. Did he do? Am I thinking of no? Yeah, no, I haven't seen him. Before. I haven't seen. He's doing King Richard. Okay. Yeah, solid first film from him. And maybe I am. Maybe that is because I'm pretty sure it's a short, right? Yeah, fourteen minutes. I think it is his first feature. Stops also a short too. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's. Yeah, solid first feature from him, and um, I'm looking forward to what Ronaldo does next. And if you like John Devon Washington, he's in here. If you like Calvin Harrison Jr., there are some very familiar faces in here that deliver some good performances as well. So, give it a go. What's up next? Oh, shit. All right. <clears throat> this is a very recent one, so I'm happy to talk about um, this one because I was looking forward to this one all year. It is that movie that broke the selling record at Sundance by, I think it was like 17 cents, 69 cents, something. Um, don't know the exact number. But it's a big one. Talked about Sundance. People were excited to see it. It was... Um, I was very excited to see it. I was very keen to watch this one. And I'm happy to say it was a fun one. It was a good one. It's Palm Springs. It finally came in on Hulu. And it's available to watch. I don't know if they were doing a... I don't know if they were ever doing a theatrical release for it or actually planning on a full VOD, but... Um, oh, actually, maybe it, it was actually when it was acquired by um, Neon. Because it is... I think it is directed by Neon. Oh, it is, sorry, produced by... Um, yes, it was bought by Neon. Okay. So, yeah, Palm Springs. Um, it stars Andy Samberg and Christy Melody. It's written and directed by... Well, it's written by Andy Sierra and directed by Max Barbaco, but it is what people will notice is it's produced by The Lonely Island, who is the uh, parody rap group uh, run by um, Andy Samberg, Akiva Shafir, and Drama Tacone. And um, this is a film about 
Niles, played by Andy Samberg. And he meets a girl named Sarah at her sister's wedding. And he's very nihilistic. He's very just like, whatever, man, fuck life. I can do whatever the fuck I want. He doesn't give a shit about his actions or consequences. And uh, things get a little uh, little crazy, a little loopy. Um, now, I, I think this isn't the plot, so I can say this. What actually this movie is about is Niles is stuck in a time loop. And Sarah finds out about it she gets intertwined with Niles um, during the first night that they meet she also gets stuck in the time loop so it's they're stuck in a time loop and it's kind of like a Groundhog Day situation and shenanigans occur we'll say that <coughs> um, yeah lived up to expectations I really enjoyed this movie very very funny loved I think the standout here is JK Simmons and I do like Kristen Milioti, but I think the standout is J.K. Simmons because, yeah, did I mention he was in this movie as well? He plays this character named uh, Roy who is like something has happened between him and Niles throughout these time loops. So he's like hunting him down like throughout these time loops and there's a really funny like subplot there with them two. And um, I don't know, man. I just really enjoyed this. I, I have not much to say about it. Look, it's not like fantastic, it's not great, but I just had a really, really fun time with this one. It's very, it's like a rom-com with a good twist, and you've got great leads from Andy Samberg, Kristen Milotti, they have great chemistry, they're cool, they're just really, it's just a fun, it's a fun, entertaining movie, and it's it's a, it's my favourite thing. It's a tight 90, and uh, it's just a really fun film, it's a really, really fun one. And uh, look, he can he can fucking jump about it all day about the time loop shit, but at the end of the day, I really really enjoyed myself with this one. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. I think I'm gonna watch it again soon with a few friends or family. And um, yeah, check it out, Palm Springs, good movie. All right, number nine, number nine. Next one is Almost Famous, uh, written and directed by Cameron Crowe. Dare I say, well, same with most people, a classic, a classic, um, which I was yet to check out, finally did. Um, yep, really like this one too. <laughs> Solid stuff. So it's about um, William Miller, who's played by Patrick Fugit. He um, becomes a kind of like freelance rock journalist, and he... Um, He's a really big music lover. He loves music. He becomes like a rock journalist and he gets unpicked up by Rolling Stone to interview with a upcoming uh, band, indie band named Stillwater, who is fronted by um, Russell Hammond, played by Billy Crudup. Yeah, there he is, Billy Crudup. And um, Jeff Bebe, who is the, um, I think that was Jason Lee? Yeah, Jason Lee. But the front man is the lead guitarist, who is uh, Russell Hammond who Billy Crudup, love him, loved him in this. He was so good. But the standout, and I think she got the supporting actress nom for this one, uh, wins for this one. Nom or win? I don't know. We'll check it. Kate Hudson. I have not really been a fan of Kate Hudson because I just think she's pretty meh, pretty bland. But her as Penny Lane. Wow. This is a star-making role. This is a star-making role. What what did she do after this? Like, what happened? <laughs> Um, loves her in this. I 
loved this uh, loved this film. It's got some great a great cast of characters in it as well. It kind of felt like a Richard Linklater movie, but it's not. It's a Cameron Crowe movie. It really felt like a Richard Linklater movie though, like an like an old uh, old nineties Richard Linklater film. Even though this is from the two thousands or two thousand itself. Kind of felt like that, um, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed this one. It has great scenes. I w- ended up watching the bootleg cut, which is about two hours and forty minutes. Yeah, I think it was two hours and forty-five minutes. I ended up watching the bootleg cut, which has extended sequences, and um, I did kind of feel it there during the second act. It had a few pacing issues, so I'm I might check out theatrical cut. I've heard the actual the theatrical cut is still pretty long as well it's about um two and a half hours oh sorry not two and a half hours oh yeah no just over two hours sorry but um i'm sorry i'm just looking at the mdbs but uh, yeah i'm not watching the bootleg cut it was long but i enjoyed it but i did notice some um i did i did feel its length i'll say that that's the word i'm looking for i did feel its length um while i was while i was in the middle of it but then at the end wraps up well i mean can we just say, can we talk about Francis McDormand for a second? <laughs> like, wow. What a great performance. Uh, Zoe Deschanel as well. There's some um, memorable quotes as well in here. Um, you have Rain Wilson in it as well. And my boy, my man, who I've only just come to recently appreciate so much. Uh, I, I felt bad. I feel bad because he's gone. But Philip fucking Seymour Hoffman. Wow, this man is on. This man was on fire. <laughs> Fuck. Um, between this and his performance in Punch Drunk Love, I just, I just, I just love to see where he's. Uh, I think he's talking to, he's talking to uh, William, and uh, I think he just, I think he hangs up. I think he's like he hangs up and he goes, "Kids on drugs." <laughs> Such. A- it's just such a great delivery. And then if you look in the um, INDB trivia for that, um, Sima Hoffman was extremely sick through all of that. And I'm pretty sure they filmed his thing in one day. He's like scenes in one day. And he was like, he had the flu. He was terrible. But you, look, you don't even notice it because he's just that much, that good of an actor. When he's in a movie, you fucking notice. Um, but enough about Philip. I could talk about that, about that man. Shit. Nothing about Philip. This is a good movie. Feel good movie. Great story. It's got that great, um, memorable, really memorable Tiny Dancer scene that people would have heard of as well on the bus when they all seen Tiny Dancer. But Kate Hudson, man, a standout in this. What happened to her after this? I don't know. But, yeah. All right, we're chugging along here. We're getting towards the end. Let me just check how much I've been going for. I've been fucking driving on for a while, probably. Oh, yeah, I've been driving for an hour. All right, I'm going to start wrapping this up soon. Okay, the next one I checked out was Minority Report. It's um, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Scott Frank and John Cohen, starring Tom Cruise, Colin Farrell, and it is about pre-crime. In the late 21st century, there is a thing called pre-crime that allows you to see a crime before it happens, who the person is, and who the victim is. And it's mystery, sci-fi, yeah, about that. Mystery, sci-fi, uh, Tom Cruise plays a, um, a chief 
inspector, chief detective officer named um, Anderton, and he finds out that he is the perpetrator of a crime, and he's on the run. Colin Fowle is a uh, kind of like a what was he like a investigator from the FBI? He plays um, Whitworth, Danny Whitworth. And he's like, he's leading the charge against finding Anderton and bringing him in for his crime. But Anderton, like, is trying, obviously, he's like, what the fuck? Like, I, why am I going to murder this person? But then the film plays out and you, you learn shit. And yeah, you know how movies go. Sorry, I'm getting, getting wrapped up again. This was also really good. Like, I was on a roll with, I think, this day. I think I watched this after Almost Famous. I think it was the day, maybe the day after Almost Famous. But that week, I was just on a roll of movies. I was loving it. What I want to point out is how Spielberg blocks scenes, builds worlds. It's just so, it was so cool. Some of the tech in this, especially the pre-crime stuff, very weird at the same time, very haunting and weird at the same time. Now, I also believe, because it kind of at the same time gives you a bit of Blade Runner vibes, and then I actually went to find out that this was um, based on a novel by Philip K. Dick, who did Monterey Report. Um, and I'm just going to double check that right now. Yeah, I'm right. <coughs> that sounded <laughs> that sounded that sounded like such a douche. Yeah, I'm right. Um, yeah, based on a novel by uh, Philip K. Dick. Because he did get a bit of a Blade Runner vibes. And the story is also really engaging. However, I did notice a few plot holes throughout. I'm not going to get into it because of spoilers and all that stuff. But I did notice a few plot holes, like very glaring ones. and uh, But they don't detract from the experience I had with the movie. I really loved the world that was there. I loved Anderson as a character. There's a really, really cool scene. Um, very tense scene as well, where there's these spider bots who are sent throughout this apartment, and Anderton is trying to um, submerge himself from these spider bots and stop being seen from them. So he goes underwater in this bathtub, and at the same time, showing off Tom Cruise's, I guess, time he can breathe underwater. Because, like, from Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, we found out it was like six minutes. Yeah, he's down there for a while. I couldn't even last. Those, those bots would find me, I'll tell you that. Those bots would fucking find me. Yeah, I don't. There's not much to say without. Uh, again, without spoiling, I don't want to spoil any of these movies because I want you guys to check them out. If you want a good mystery that you can get wrapped up in, love the world that it's set in, and follow a really interesting character along with a uh, good uh, side cast as well. Now, Samantha Morton's in this as well um, as uh, as Agatha uh, because all of the three um, vessels that I mean, I don't want to say vessels because they're fucking humans, but. Vessels that display the pre-crime stuff are based on um, famous authors. So um, I think one of them is Agatha, played by Samantha Morton, who I reckon I noticed from Synecdoche in New York. And um, I don't know what else it should be from, but I noticed her from Synecdoche in New York as... Um, what's her name? I always forget her fucking name. Hazel, that's it. I was going to say Maple, who is um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Casey is uh, love interest in that film but she was um really good as um agatha and then like the, the the stuff with agatha i mean this is really a film that you want to sit down with someone to talk about with in depth um i want to recommend a podcast uh uh beyond the screenplay who is um if you see lesson from the screenplay on youtube the uh the host of that michael tucker does a podcast called beyond the screenplay 
and there's a really great episode on Minority Report where they go into a lot of detail about it. And I listened to that after watching this, and um, look, I'll just say this, they'll explain it better than I would. <laughs> but they also get into a lot of detail about it, and this is really a film that you want to sit down with someone and talk about all the aspects and um, <clears throat> how it was put together and what happens throughout, because it's just a big mystery. And But at the same time, a really, really fun adventure film. There's a really cool chase scene with Anderton and the, um, the officers that are chasing him. Um, that take place on these vertical cars that go like up of the road because you're living in a future. I mean, I'm telling you what, this is in the 21st century. This ain't this 21st century, I'll tell you that. <laughs> because um, it's, I don't know what Spielberg or Philip or uh, Cohen and um, and Frank thought about for this future, but it ain't 2020. It ain't that. We don't have cars that go up buildings like fucking um, spiders. But, uh, yeah, it's a solid film. I'm going to give it four. Four, yeah. Four out of five. Uh, good stuff. Check it out. Okay. Moving on. Contagion is another one I wanted to talk about as well because it's very relevant and scarily accurate accurate to what we're going through at the moment because why not watch this movie, right, during this time? Um, this is uh, written by Scott Z. Burns and... Um, directed by Steven Soderbergh, and it's about this pandemic that becomes lethal, airborne throughout the world, killing people left and right. It's coronavirus. That's what it is. It's coronavirus the movie. But it's shown from three different perspectives. Uh, three? Six? I... <clears throat> no, six, sorry. It's shown from six different um, perspectives. You kind of get one at the beginning... And then you morally focus on, I think you're going to focus mainly on two, perhaps a, th perhaps, perhaps a third. But anyway, you get three, you got a lot of different um, perspectives that, and during this pandemic and um, you're looking at World Health Organization, you're looking at, looking at doctors, you're looking at just a father and his kids, you're looking at a, uh, a, um, uh, a blogger who just writes about this shit on his website and everything. And he's trying to find more information about it. And it's it's just a... Yeah, it's good. It's a solid film. It's scary because it's... When you watch this, when you're living in this time, and then you watch this film, you're... You're kind of like, okay, this is good, but at the same time, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, this is... This is what is happening right now around me. This is what is happening right now around me. So, um, Soderbergh, again, just does a great job at doing that, show, showing that. It's very accurate and realistic in the way it shows, I'm trying to think of lack of a better word, um, looks at this whole situation and puts it on screen, like displays it on screen. And it is just what is it's just it's look it's what's happening now, but in a movie. Um, I think this virus would be more. Um, I think this virus would be more lethal than coronavirus, and you'll have to fact check me on that one. They're kind of the same, but it's just very. I mean, it's even down to like the symptoms that these characters experience, it's exactly the same symptoms that you get with coronavirus. And you're getting panic from the WHO, you're getting panic from the government, you're getting panic from the the global population and then it has just right at the end 
tie it up in a beautiful bow from Soderbergh with that final shot. Mm. Damn. And one more thing that I noticed as well, and yes, I did notice, sir. Love you so much. I really liked the score throughout this movie. I thought it was very... It was an odd score to have, but it really, really fit it, um, if I'm honest. And then I watched the credits, and I was like, that, and it sounds pretty familiar as well. I watched the credits and found out that the score is done by none other than my man, Cliff Martinez, who uh, does uh, Nicholas Winding reference films. He did the score for Game Night, which is a great movie, great comedy. One of the best in the last 10 years. But Cliff Martinez, man, fuck yeah, he's working his magic. And um, I noticed, sir. I noticed. So if you want to scare yourself a bit more and watch the horror of Wreck, because I know some people are watching Wreck at the moment as well. Um, if you want a little bit more in that and just make yourself even more paranoid, I guess. I don't know why you would, but make yourself even more paranoid or even want to get, I guess, learn more about viruses. Contagion. Yeah, Contagion. All right, to finish off with some... Uh, some good. <coughs> Days of Confused. Um, I had a little bit of a Richard Linklater double feature. I watched Days of Confused and School of Rock. Days of Confused is one of my favorite movies of all time. I love it. It's got a great cast of characters. It's very chill. It has the iconic Matthew McConaughey line, all right, all right, all right. That's where that comes from. That's where the high school girls quote comes from. That's where the L-I-V-I-N quote comes from as well. And I was sitting here with my friends and, and everyone was just like, oh my God, that is where all of this shit is from. He's from this movie. And I was like, yeah, man, it, it originated from Waterson, who is Matthew um, McConaughey's character. And um, it's what it's about. It's just the last day of school in, in um, 1976 in um, Texas. And uh, these kids, they're, they're smoking dope, they're partying, they're doing this, they're doing that. They're raising hell. And they're having a good time. And that's what Richard... I think that's what Richard Linklater does best with the films like this. And its spiritual sequel, Everybody Wants Some, is also a really good film as well. Love it. Whereas this one looks at high school, Everybody Wants Some looks at college. And um, good stuff. You don't really... I think Jason London, who um, who plays uh, Mitch... Oh, sorry, not Wilder Wiggins, sorry. He plays Mitch. Like, I've, I haven't really seen him anything since... But you're you're not you one the ones you're gonna notice are like Wooderson and uh, Pinky, and then Mila Jovovich is in this as well. So uh, yeah, check it out. It's a good one. It's a chill time. You want to you have a good time. Just enjoy yourself and just kind of like put it on, phase out, but also just really enjoy yourself. Those confused man. I, I, it's always a recommendation from me. Um, and then after that, we watched School of Rock, which I haven't seen in a very very long time. And oh my god, this movie is amazing. Like, so funny. I forgot how funny this movie was. Oh, my God. Now, it's about Jack Black. Uh, it's about Dewey, who's played by Jack Black. He gets dropped from his band. He wants to make a new band. So he takes his roommate's job as a substitute teacher, and he teaches these kids, but he obviously doesn't know much about teaching, so he makes a band with them, and they are going to go to the Battle of Bands to win because, one, he wants the money, but then he realizes that kids were the best part all along all that stuff all that good shit it's written by mike white who also plays his roommate roommate and it's directed by richard linklater um yeah such good time with this one the kids are great some of the best child acting i've ever seen like there's a reason people love this one 
And Jack Black, man. I could not imagine anyone else in this role except this man right here, Jack Black, because he just electrifies this movie. It's a great love letter to rock and roll, as well as just um, a, a community, I guess, and, and bringing together people that love have love for the same thing and share passion. And um, I had a great time with this one. had a great time of it. If you have seen School of Rock and you haven't seen it in a while, man, revisit it. Give it a go again because I highly, highly recommend it. Do do what I did. Maybe do a bit of a double feature with uh, another Richard Linklater film. Uh, Recommended Days of Infused. I wouldn't chuck something like the Before Trilogy or something or uh, Boyhood or something. But uh, yeah, um, give this one a go. It's it's a uh, give it a go again. I'd say it's a that's good one. Okay, all right. We need to wrap this up because we're gonna on these this podcast in combination is going to be like four hours long i think um all right <clears throat> so i'm not going to talk about the television shows because we're reaching an hour and a half so those are the films some of them are bad some of them are right some of them are really good some of them i fucking loved um and then part two i'll be talking about the tv shows i'll be talking about the comedy specials i'll be talking about the franchises that i watched and the books and the music, as well as answering the questions that were left on my Instagram the other night. And um, we'll be getting to a lot of... Uh, this could be a three-part thing. Who knows? I'm not, Who knows? I could probably break this into three parts. But, um, yeah, this is the big old quarantine podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting the podcast. Have a great week.